2: ever wonder why so many don't want to admit that they have seen something paranormal welcome back to paranormal activity with me vet fielding and this week we're looking at different beliefs and why some are seen as unhealthy As always, we kick things off with this week's Fact or Fiction and listen to the answer at the end to see if you were right or sadly wrong. Now, one of the first recorded ghost sightings at a castle was in 1897. Is it fact or fiction? Find out at the end of the show. Well this week we're doing something a little different and looking into the complex world of belief systems shedding light on the stark differences between what society often views as healthy like religion and what is often perceived as unhealthy such as the belief in the paranormal. We'll be speaking to Owen Davis later in the show and he's a professor of social history at the University of Hertfordshire and he's written extensively on the supernatural including the history of magic witchcraft and ghosts and his new book troubled by faith insanity and the supernatural in the age of asylum explores the popular beliefs considered incompatible with modernity and how science faith and the supernatural were deeply entangled in the changing world of the 19th century so i can't wait for you to hear this chat so what role does our culture play on our beliefs Well, culture is a complex web of shared beliefs, values, norms, and practices that are learned and transmitted across generations. It's the lens through which individuals perceive and interpret the world around them, and it guides their actions and responses in various social situations. It shapes the behaviours, attitudes, and perceptions of individuals and groups, thereby influencing how they interact with each other. And in the context of individual group interactions, culture determines the rules of social engagement. It dictates what is considered appropriate or inappropriate behaviour in a given situation, how individuals should communicate with each other and how conflict should be resolved. For instance, in some cultures, direct confrontation is seen as disrespectful, while in others, it's viewed as a necessary means of resolving disputes. Similarly, some culture values individualism and encourage self-expression and independence, while others emphasise collectivism and stress the importance of group harmony and conformity. So, if we look at witchcraft, for example, long before the Pendle Witch Trials, witchcraft was seen as a healing, healthy belief. But, as organised religion became prevalent in British culture, this was then seen as unhealthy. I suppose many people see what I do as unhealthy and demonic. In fact, I've had several people ignore me in public and sneer at me because of my association with the paranormal. I've mentioned to you before one Catholic lady whose daughter worked for me refused to let me in her house because of what I did. Some vicars laugh and have laughed at me and, and have looked down upon what I do. And even the odd celebrity has been incredibly disrespectful to my faiths and my beliefs. One such high-profile comic said on a panel show for Channel 4, I think what you do is really stupid. Well, I could have died as this was said in front of a full studio audience and it was said with real venom and the look in that comic's eye, well... it it could have turned me to stone and I'll never forget that I I could have honestly I, I was so humiliated and embarrassed so why do some of us look down on the supernatural the paranormal or indeed anything that can't be proven by scientists oh yes the scientists have to give their tick of approval don't they before the mystery can be solved and accepted I think it's all down to fear The amount of times I've invited scientists to join me on investigations and to experience, particularly the knocking and the rapping phenomena, I've I've asked them hundreds of times. And I believe they don't want to admit that they don't have a scientific, logical answer. And this infuriates me so much. One parapsychologist admitted that he knew the knocking and tapping was indeed paranormal. But he couldn't say it on camera as his peers would frown upon it. And in turn, that could affect his standing within the university that they were teaching at. So you see, it is all down to fear and ridicule. Now, I just want to make clear here that whatever you choose to believe in is great. And to continue following your own path in your belief as well. I'm not here to force anything upon you. Ghosts and spirits are common across most religious beliefs. So why is it that so many struggle to come forward when they have a paranormal experience? And I believe it's fear of being ridiculed. Now, if this is a common belief, why is it seen as unhealthy? Why are we all ridiculed for it? Is it because ghosts are often seen as terrifying? Have we all got an innate phobia of the supernatural? hmm, there's a lot to think about here. I mean, if we go back to the days of... Do you remember when UFOs were first talked about? And then everybody that didn't believe in them would take the mickey and do stuff on videos or in television programmes where they'd actually put a silver aluminium cone on their head and they'd just take the pee. But now things are changing in that area, aren't they? Now... A lot of people, including scientists, because of all the whistleblowers that are coming forward, are taking ufology an awful lot more serious. And I think that will happen, maybe, certainly, I don't think in my lifetime, but maybe that will happen in the future with ghosts and the paranormal. Although many are afraid of the supernatural, many also find comfort in the paranormal as opposed to religious faith. Are you one of them? I'm certainly meeting an awful lot of people um, that are believers in the paranormal, that are believers in ghosts, and they do believe in life after death. They believe that their loved ones will Um, come for them when it's their time that they're around them Uh, and I think that's a, a very very comforting thing to know and it's also comforting to know as well that my faith and possibly your faith is that there is life after death and it doesn't just end here I mean how depressing to just think that that's it when you're dead you're dead i i really did believe that many many years ago before most haunted but i'll tell you what i don't believe that now we do go on as you know
0: list lips the podcast where we give our expert not so expert advice join us as we figure life out one episode at a time yeah, you don't want them break
2: dancing in the middle of <laughs> Wetherspoons, do you really? A tanned ankle, no socks, boat shoes, so they have like a partially tanned foot. <laughs> so you got through it? Yeah, well, I mean, well, we're not together now. But... Oh, well, yeah, there is that. <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh, gotta say I'm furious. High
2: five yourself, boom.
1: Whoop. Another life saved, you know? Find us wherever you got this podcast. Just search
4: Listslips for weekly topics and some seriously juicy listener dilemmas.
2: Well, magical thinking... Is a really interesting topic to look at here, and I'm sure you've done this at some point in your life. Now, magical thinking, for those of you who don't really know what that is, starts at a young age as children. And children are make believe enthusiasts, embracing imaginary friends with passion, getting excited for Santa. Oh, don't you just remember those wonderful times? And holding objects to keep fears away mine was a marble you know one of those huge marbles i used to go to bed with it and everything keep it under my pillow i used to think it would stop giving me nightmares and this is completely normal in a child's development and children start to believe when they're toddlers and adults feed into these beliefs think about santa and as they grow older to around about 10 they start to question how feasible magical thinking is they may well dispense these beliefs but keep their superstitions close Now, most people don't believe in magic, but they might still knock on wood when they want a good outcome for something. Um, And this need to believe that one's hope and desires can have an effect on the world is everywhere. People make connections between mystical thinking and real life events, even when it's not rational. However, there is some comfort in believing that something is pulling the cosmic strings above us. It helps us relax. I always say it was meant to happen whether it be good or bad it was meant to happen why who the heck knows and the brain is made to pick up patterns and so people can look for meaning in strange places from superstitions to lucky numbers so, why do we hold some beliefs higher than others when, in fact, this belief in something more than us is something that the majority of us share? I mean, I always knock on wood and I panic if i can 't find any, so my head gets a good knocking instead we 'll be chatting more about this with Owen davis, but let 's get into our listener experience for this week
3: hi vet um i 've been meaning to phone in and uh, tell you my story for some time so I thought I'd just wait for a quiet moment and I'll I'll fill you in. So basically, um, I lost my mum to dementia back in January. At the time, my dad was still living at home on his own. So my mum mum had passed away and uh, we stayed with her till the end. And I think it was a couple of weeks went by it was time to see my mum in the chapel of rest. So, which was a bit of a shock. Um, I walked into to the room, and there was my mum. And the first thing that struck me was that, first of all, she didn't look like my mum, and there was this strange smell in the room, which, uh, which I then learnt was, um, uh, it was like a plug-in smelly, I think it was called Zen. Never smelled it before, didn't particularly like it, and then from then on I just associated it with the smell of my mum in this room. I thought it may be some chemicals or, or something. We didn't stay for long. I said goodbye to my mum and we went for a long drive and we went for a drink, my, my fiance and I. We then returned to the house and the house is uh, a rented house, it's, a, it's quite an old house and it has quite a musty smell in the hallway. So he walked in, he could smell this musty smell. And I went into the lounge because I got a plug-in there, but it was a cotton linen plug-in. Walked into the lounge and as strong as anything, the first thing I could smell was zen. The smell of my mum's room where she was, which struck me as very strange because we haven't got a zen, it's definitely a coffin, cotton linen smell. And that 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 sort of threw me back a little bit. Um, About a week later, we decided that uh, we'd try some EVPs, never had much luck with EVPs before. Got my phone out, started doing some EVPs, asking for my mum, nothing happened, nothing happened. I think it was on about the fourth attempt, a voice came through as clear as anything. Um, Well, I say clear, clear for an EVP that just said bring David, uh, I want David home, because at that stage my dad had gone into hospi- hospital. I want David home. Sounded vaguely like my mum's voice, but quite a uh, younger and quite breathy, like I want David home, which was quite startling. Then we had another one, Just said yes. And I think we did one where I could actually hear my mum's voice in the air as well as it being recorded. Normally on an EVP, you'd you'd get the recording on the the, um, device, but you wouldn't hear it audibly. But I actually heard her voice audibly, uh, which was quite alarming as well. A few things uh, began to happen. My dad came home, we went round to see my dad, and my dad was in the lounge. We left him to stay where he was because he's quite frail on his feet. We walked into the kitchen and we were just getting ready to leave and we heard footsteps coming down the hallway, like a laminated floor hallway. A uh, definite dum, dum, dum footsteps. So I got up straight away thinking my dad had just come to the, was coming to the door. My dad wasn't there. I leaned through to the lounge and my dad was still sitting there. <laughs> and that that was very strange. I, I replicated the sound with my feet and it was the same sound, like a boom, boom, a definite footsteps. So we've had a few of these occasions since um, my my fiance Rosina claimed to have seen my mum. She was putting some stuff away in the in the fridge, turned around, and my mum was standing there in the hallway, and then she just faded away and was gone. I haven't seen her. Uh, I've not really had any definite dreams of my mum, but uh, yeah, definitely some EVP success since then i've lost my dad so it's been a bit of a dramatic year on the plus side we got married so that's good got a new job and we're moving but uh yeah that's that's my story uh love the show love everything you do take care keep up the great work thanks bye
2: Hi, my lovely. Well, it sounds to me like your mum was waiting to make sure your dad was back home and comfortable. I wonder how long it was since your mum's passing until your dad's. I'm just thinking that perhaps she was waiting for him. I love the fact that you heard the footsteps and that your wife saw your mum in the hallway. She sounds like a very strong woman, your mum, and that when she wants something done, it will happen. Thank you so much for your message and much love to you and your wife. And remember, your mum and dad can still see and hear you. This week, we're joined by Owen Davis. Well, I'm very excited because Owen Davis um, is joining me now. He's a professor of social history at the University of Hertfordshire and author of Troubled by Faith, uh, Insanity and the Supernatural in the Age of the Asylum. Now, he's written extensively on the history of magic, witchcraft and ghost my kind of guy some of his other books include a supernatural war which is about magic divination and faith during the first world war and the oxford illustrated history of witchcraft and magic my daughter is going to absolutely love this book uh, and he's also written america bewitched the story of witchcraft after salem but the book we're going to be talking about today is the troubled by faith where the book examines the supernatural in the 19th century culture and it's all about the 19 Century, the fears and anxieties of patients in asylums about witches, ghosts, fairies, and devils, and how they were all held by society at large. And the so called delusions of asylum patients were rooted in broader societal currents. It also touches on how madness was characterized and understood, and how some beliefs. Can be seen as healthy, and others unhealthy. This begs the question: Why can people believe in God but not ghosts? And the book also mentions some strange beliefs from the past. So I hope I did that okay. Oh, Did I describe no. it well enough?
4: Very nice. Yeah, excellent.
2: <laughs> That's <was> fantastic. Thank, <laughs> thank, thank you so much for joining us. And and I literally, I've I've been watching a lot of uh, history documentaries on on YouTube, and one that really fascinated me was King George III, the Third, oh, the Mad yeah. King. Yeah and obviously you're going to know a lot more about this than I am, but it begs the question, really, do you think there's a correlation between geniuses? Because King George III was really into astronomy, wasn't he? He was a very, very clever guy. But do you think that, that because these geniuses, somehow their minds, their their souls are more open to the spirit world?
4: I, it kind of depends, and this comes out of early psychiatry, which was obviously... Um, happens in, in the in the 19th century so when K- king george is you know being diagnosed as as mad you know it's a psychiatric profession is just in it's you know kind of in its infancy um, and and the idea of genius as being connected to insanity goes back a long way you know the idea of uh, back to ideas of divine inspiration you know in, in antiquity but from the eyes you know looking through the eyes of early psychiatrists that you know you can unpick this in two different ways one is you know what because what the early psychiatrists do is they, they think they're Actually, starting to say we can detect insanity because of people's beliefs and the nature of beliefs rather than the idea that you got kicked in the head, you know, uh, and (laughs) and suffered sort of brain injuries which rendered you insane, or because obviously of grief and love were well known forms of, uh, you know, of leading to insanity. Um, But genius itself would depend on what sort of beliefs.
1: That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture
4: at burrow.com slash ACAST. What geniuses were actually saying, because that's what they would analyze. Say, he, if, what, if, if this person, male or female, is, is, is saying strange things, weird things that we think are symptomatic of insane, then that's very different to the idea of someone having extraordinary ideas that are just new and exciting yeah. that no one's ever thirt- th- you know, thought of before. So this is exactly the sort of thing that, that, that early psychiatrists are trying to tease apart. What is what is a symptom of insanity and what isn't? And it all depends then on very subjective analyses of what, of wider societal assumptions of what, what, what should be normal, what, what's a normal belief, what's a normal way of thinking.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and again, I was very interested in Louis Louis Wayne, mm. who of course did the amazing pictures of, yeah, of the cats. cats. Yeah. Um. And and he really sort of could see, couldn't he? And he all believed that that we all worked on electricity, mm. and that's where it all came from. And he, he was obsessed with that, and ended up, you know, sort of the latter part of his life actually um, being incarcerated mm. in in a in a mental asylum. Mental illness did run in his mm. family. I think it was his sister she was also in an asylum as well but again you've got this very uh, extrovert amazingly creative person who had to keep doing things all the time creating painting with both hands you know at the same time and yet here we go you know He's 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 a sort of put in a mental asylum, and I, I think, gosh, you know, this is what's normal and what isn't normal. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it, it's ins- it's it, it's a fascinating subject.
4: Yeah, and the poet John Clare is another good example, famous, you know, labouring poet who's who again ends up in asylum and then escapes and walks back to Northamptonshire. <laughs> he escapes from the asylum.
2: Wow! Does he? Wow! How amazing!
4: Yeah, and and and, and both in his case and obviously with Louis Wayne, they're, they're in private asylums, so you know, which are Quite, quite, which require different entry requirements to a public asylum, you know, as well. So that's oh, really? more in those cases, you know, your your family if they pay enough money, in a one sense, and you can get doctors to certify can can mean that you end up in asylum in a sense against your will, um, and, and, and depending on essentially what other people think of you.
2: So what what about moving on from that? Sorry, I'm bombarding you with all these questions because I'm fascinated by it. So you know. The word lunatic comes from the moon, doesn't it? Lunar. And of course, I mean, I'm a huge believer in, you know, things that we can't see, energies, all of that has such a huge impact on the way that we are the the makeup of, of our body you know is a high percentage of it is nearly all of its water isn't it so lycanthropy um you know is there such a thing did people believe that they could be werewolves um lunatics comes from the word lunar the moon how, how, how do you feel about that how does all that fit in together with 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 being put in a mental asylum as it were
4: yeah i mean lunacy or moon madness is something times called as well, um, was was kind of mainstream medical belief right into the early 19th century. So in other words, it's a belief that is held universally both by the population, whether you're literate or illiterate, and by you know the learned, licensed medical profession. And you do get these reports in 18th century sort of private asylums of of, of people saying, right, on, on, when it comes to the full moon, we basically chain chain certain people up because we know they're going to start raving and going mad. So in a sense, there was a kind of general acceptance. When it comes to the new new psychiatrists uh, of the 19th century, they're they're still trying to test this. And so even into the 1830s and 1840s, you've got asylum superintendents who are doing meticulous analysis of lunar phases and the behavior of their patients. Uh, in America, they're doing this. Some American um, psychiatrists, and then both on the continent and in and, and in Britain, and they come up with mixed findings. So by the, by the time you get to the sort of the mid 19th century, you've got two factors. I think most most psychiatrists by then are thinking there is no link between the moon and madness, but you've still got people um, who have compiled their various detailed over years asylum asylum patient analyses with with lunar cycles and saying, I think I can find some correlation, but none of it is is Really, very clear or even very convincing, uh, and these are really detailed, you know, studies over say uh, with hundreds of patients over years. But the conviction is still there through the century, you know, through the 19th century, and in popular culture, it's still widespread assumption that yeah, people some some people do, and they say I've seen I've seen my my bad neighbour or my mad you know son or daughter, and I can see that they change. So experience is quite important here in people's own sense of what's real or not real in terms of lunacy. And same goes for things like, um, you know, um, lycanthropy. It's quite rare amongst asylum patients. Um, And you get more examples of it on the continent where lycanthropy and werewolf concerns were greater than they were in this country, for example. But even then, it's not that you don't find that many cases. But yeah, there are people in asylums who say they are um, shapeshifters, that they turn into wolves or other animals indeed.
2: What about ghosts? So we're talking about... (laughs) People that are, you know, shut away, and we're going back, you know, hundreds of years, and they report seeing, don't they? Can you not see that? Can you not see him? Can or can you not see the little child over there? And they're seeing and describing perhaps a ghost that other people, um, maybe people that have worked in the asylum, have seen, but they, they, they don't want to say anything. So, is is the mind of the lunatic um, more open? To the spiritual world.
4: It's really interesting when you analyze, and I've I've looked at dozens and dozens, hundreds of cases from 1930, 20th times of ghosts. Uh, uh, sightings or ghost belief amongst asylum and it's fascinating because I've, I've written books on on the history of ghosts um you know i've written hundreds of thousands of words on the history of ghosts and looked at all sorts of sources about what, what people's experienced centuries past right through to the 20th century and the asylum patients and their beliefs in ghosts really provides really interesting new insights into ghost belief which you don't find from folklore records or scientific mm-hmm. psychological research reports or or newspapers um, and, and it's a much more personalized form of ghosts. And so, so so there's lots of people in asylums who, who are who are there in part because they persistently say they believe in ghosts. And it's not just they believe, but they say they regularly see them um, in different sorts of ways. Sometimes they talk about just – it's fascinating the language here because quite a lot of patients just talk about spirits. They're, they're seeing spirits or the spirits are doing things to them, whether it's outside of the asylum, which is what led them into the asylum. And in the asylum, they say they're being sort of um, having encounters encounters with spirits, and you know, I was trying to unpick what I mean by spirits. Uh, you know, and, and it's not always easy because it's they're not always sure. They're just having these experiences. So I'm just thinking of one one man in Inverness Island who says that this spirit comes and lies on him in the form or shape of a man. It doesn't say it's a ghost or a spirit of the dead, it doesn't say it's a, a fairy or anything else. It's a spirit, he's not sure what it is, but he knows that he's experienced it and he knows that it looks like a man and feels like a man. So you get quite a lot of that talk of spirits. Um, but you also get um, people talking about the traditional white forms of ghosts. They know they've seen a ghost because it's white. You know? Uh, they know they've seen a ghost because it's a, a dead relative, a father or mother or son. So some of it relates quite closely to general experiences that we can think of today but there's other more insightful things which is you get much more talkative ghosts amongst asylum patients you see regularly the asylum patients will say i talked to my dead mother the other night you know she comes regularly or talk to my father or my sister-in-law and often it's a calming thing yeah, i have a good chat with her and then she goes back up again sort of thing and you rarely find those conversations in other mm-hmm. sources
2: why do you think that is then so what's happening you see, I, I think you know I've met lots of mediums, lots of lots of people that you know say that they've communicated with the other side, and they'll close their eyes and they'll they'll relay a message to me from a spirit or whatever. Um, many of them are found out later on to be fake, um, but there's one gentleman who I've worked with, Brian Shepherd, is just unbelievable, and he actually draws, draws the spirit that he's seeing and he's communicating with, which is absolutely fascinating, um, and so. Is he, I am sure this has been done, but you know, is his brain different to ours? Are these people um, that are, you know, a lot of people will, will put them away and say, you know, that, you know, they're, you know, they have mental problems, mental health problems, they need to, you know, be put away for their own safety and their family's safety. Are they, is their brain different to ours? Because they're able to have a conversation with their dead father and oh I sat and had a chat with him today type thing? are our brains wired differently to them do you think
4: that's clearly because you know there's clearly something different about these people why why it becomes such a conviction or why it becomes so important to them because obviously lots of people believe in ghosts in the past and the present and lots of people feel they have senses or experiences they don't they don't end up in asylums they didn't they didn't end up in ghost people was actually pervasive in the in the 19th century but it doesn't mean everyone gets put in asylum because they say they believe they saw a ghost you know? No. the place would be yeah, there'd be millions of people in asylums otherwise so you know one of, <laughs> so one of, the, one of the reasons why certain type of people is, is normally because it becomes almost obsessive you know to the point at which it's annoying right. family members and stuff so that's a kind of a, a right. sign that it becomes so preoccupying so obsessive that there's something else going on on their brains you know whether whether it's you know whether it's the intensity of their experiences for example or the, or the continual frequent nature of it that, that starts becoming abnormal in the minds of other people who would believe in ghosts. You know? What it tells us about the individual's medical condition or spiritual condition is very difficult to un- un- unpick from that. Um, all, all we know is that these people um, are having a different intensity of experience or nature of experience. So you know, that, that's what marks them out, and that's why they end up briefly, briefly mostly, in a silence.
2: What about um, the case of you must have heard of it, um, Annalise I'm uh, Not sure. I have
4: heard of that one. No.
2: Have you heard of that no, case? I'm not sure. So she basically, um, the Rome, the Roman Catholic Church were involved, um, and she was allegedly allegedly became possessed by a demonic spirit, um, and she was a very happy-go-lucky young lady, absolutely nothing wrong, and then just literally overnight she started speaking in um a really bizarre foreign tongue that no one could understand what it was but when they brought in a dialect and uh, um, speech um expert and they said it was an ancient language right. that she, there's no way she could have been speaking that you know yeah um that quickly she couldn't couldn't have learned it um her voice changed into this sort of deep male gravelly hor- she lost so much weight Um, And the Catholic Church were trying to desperately, you know, sort of do an exorcism and all the. And in the end, sadly, she died. So I wondered if you knew about that case, because it it was very much a case of, is there something wrong with her mentally? Is she somehow, you know, I don't know how on earth she'd found this ancient language. How is she doing this? Or. Is there something really going on from a spiritual side? Is there a demonic presence, you know, coming through? It's a really fascinating but sad case. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm throwing that one yeah. at you there, Owen. Something for your next book. Okay.
4: <laughs> I can't remember that case, but I have, I have read, you know, hundreds of cases of possession cases, very similar to that, yeah. from, from, from the 16th century onwards, you know. Um, there are loads of I mean, In fact, you know, one of the, the, the early psychiatrists were absolutely, you know, if talking about obsession, the early psychiatrists, that are obsessed with early possession cases like that, with exactly the same phenomenon. Suddenly, this poor illiterate girl is 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 speaking fluent Latin or a, a ancient Greek. How could she possibly mm. do this? You know, um, you know, she's speaking in tongues. She's got almost supernatural powers. She can jump, you know, three meters high. You get exactly the same things over centuries. It's almost always learned. You know, you know, almost behavior. If you you know, mm. if you're skeptical about the idea that they're possessed, you can see. They, they can learn these things um, because there's a pattern. And obviously the Catholic Church in particular, um, in the past, um, you know, was 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 formed to deal with these things because obviously they have the power of exorcism. So you do get a a uniformity mm. of these experiences taken by. I mean, one of the most well-known which which, which both clergy and psychiatrists uh, were both really engaged within Morzine. This is like this is in the 1850s, 60s in an Alpine village in France, where hundreds of women.
2: I'm writing it yeah,
4: down. <laughs> literally hundreds Mourzine. of women over Al- the years uh, were claiming and behaving like possessed people in the same way you've just mentioned. Wow. It, was, it was an Alpine village, and and you know almost eight hours um, sort of horse ride from the nearest town. Um, but but psychiatrists were brought in by the state. They even had to bl- bring in a, a police brigade. Um, to deal with it, it was considered to be law and order issue. It went on for years. There were reports on it. Um, you know, the soldiers were removed, but then new cases arrived and psychiatrists were bringing some people to asylums and the church was there kind of providing exorcisms. So, you know, huge, huge outbreaks were happening, you know, um, with exactly the same. And you see the same ones in in. Even in the early 20th century, particularly after the First World War in Belgium, you get another raft of people um, claiming possession or having um, angelic experiences, obviously, presumably due to the trauma of, of occupation, yeah. presumably. Um, and again, the issue is that the psychiatrist is saying, well, this is our, we need to deal with these people because they're mentally ill, whereas obviously people of faith and Catholic faith in particular say so they're not ill, you know. Yeah. They're perfectly normal. They're being attacked, possessed. So it becomes this is where uh, cases like this become a real sort of battleground between psychiatry and the clergy, particularly the Catholic clergy, but also Protestant clergy, particularly in America.
2: It's absolutely fascinating. It really, really is. Uh, And I, I honestly, I could, I could, I need to go and look. I'm I'm actually looking it up now. How are you spelling Morzine? Yeah, M O R Z. How do you spell
4: M O R Z? O R Z. -Z 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 Yeah. I-N-E. It is an extraordinary case. It I-N-E. is an extraordinary case. You should find quite a lot out there in English. Right. There's lots in French, but there's, there's quite a lot out there in English oh, as well.
2: How wonderful. Yeah. I can't wait. Yeah. Yes. Brilliant. To the I can't to wait. The to book as that. well. <laughs> Look, I've got... Uh, well exactly <laughs> and just give give yourself a plug yeah. so um where can we get the book oh uh, trouble by yeah faith. i think it's
4: out in a few weeks and it should be available from all the books books as they say online
2: okay trouble by faith by owen davis thank you so much thank you that was owen davis and his brand new book trouble by faith is out very soon now let's get the answer to this week's fact or fiction and to remind you it was One of the first recorded ghost sightings was at a castle and it was in 1897. So what do you think? Well, the answer is fact. Remember, just one of the first recorded ghost sightings and it's fact. Um, So congratulations if you said fact, you got that right. So one of the earliest recorded ghost sightings was at Windsor Castle in 1897 by one of the Queen Victoria's guards. One of the earliest recorded ghost sightings was at Windsor Castle in 1897 by one of Queen Victoria's guards. Lieutenant Carr Glynn of the Grenadier Guards claimed to have seen a woman bearing a striking resemblance to Queen Elizabeth I, who died in 1603, and he said he saw the ghost walk past him outside his library office. Despite immediately getting up to follow the woman, he couldn't see her, nor any point of exit which she might have left through, with the library attendant also confirming he was the only other person in the library that day. Now, it's alleged that over the years, various royals have seen her or heard her eerie footsteps in the library before she appears. Queen Elizabeth I is not the first royal apparition to appear in the castle, with staff and members of the royal family also claiming to have seen King George III, who was famously detained inside the castle due to his mental condition peering out of a window. Oh, gosh, wouldn't you just love to get in there and do a ghost hunt? I'm desperate to also investigate the Tower of London and Hampton Court Palace. Both Carl and myself were lucky enough. To get knocking and tapping in both these locations when we went to visit. So I know that these two locations are bursting with ghosts and paranormal activity. If anybody is listening who can get us into Hampton Court or the Tower of London, please, 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 I'd snock your face off poor you anyway get in touch with me and share your stories at this address it's contact at paranormalpod.co.uk or we are on whatsapp and you know i love hearing your voices so here's the number 075999 27537 we are on instagram where we share videos and pictures that you guys send in and here is the handle is at paranormal activity pod stay up to date with the newest episodes by giving us a follow and we'll be back again same time next week But if you can't wait until then, visit www.paranormalpod.co.uk where you can find options to get episodes a day early. Have a great week, stay safe, and remember, things aren't always
0: as they seem. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass fed whole milk instead of skim?